Good morning, church. Turn to someone around you right now and tell them how glad you are that they're here. All right, now find someone you don't know or that's not related to you. Give me some more time here. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Would you join me? God, we are just beyond grateful that we get to come here today. And God, it's my prayer every week that we don't just show up to sing a few songs and see some people we know or hear some good advice, but God, that we truly are just changed by your word, that we're changed by our worship, we're changed by our fellowship, that everything we do draws us a little bit closer to you. And so God, today, especially today, our prayer is that your Holy Spirit would just fall on us, would help to shape us and mold us into looking more and more like your son. And if any of us today are struggling, are bringing things with us that we've been wrestling with, burdens that we've been carrying, things we can't possibly face on our own, God, we thank you that you are the God who says, I give you peace that surpasses all understanding through my spirit. You are the God that says, come boldly before my throne and bring these things to me. Cast your cares on me because I care for you, your word says. Thank you for that, God. So today we trust in that. We believe that. And so any of us that are struggling today, any of us that are worried, that are anxious, that are just exhausted, God, we just come before you right now. We just fall down. We open our arms and say, God, would you fill us? Empty us us of anything that doesn't look like you. In your precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, church, I'm so excited to open up God's word with you today. I'm so excited to start a brand new series with you today where we look at some stuff that I've never really gotten to preach on before. I I don't hear talked about a lot in a lot of ways, so I'm really excited to start this series with you as we examine the person of the Holy Spirit. And so as we start off today, I just want to tell you how incredibly grateful I am that you're here, grateful that we're all here to worship God together and open up His Word. If you've got your Bibles today, you can get uh, get them open to Acts chapter 1. We'll be there in just a moment. But I want to start off with a story. So there was one fateful Christmas Eve where my family decided to go to my grandparents' very traditional Lutheran church for a candlelight service. Have you ever been to a traditional candlelight service? Normally they're at about 11 or 11.30, so they kind of end right around midnight, so you kind of usher in Christmas, and everybody has candles, and you sing hymns, and it's an absolutely beautiful and amazing, very traditional liturgical service. It's absolutely incredible. I love getting to be a part of those. But at that time, I was about 12 years old. And so the beauty of the liturgy was kind of lost on me. In fact, I got to a place where I got just a little bit bored. And so I'm sitting there as the pastor went on and on, at least from my perspective. It was actually a very beautiful service. But I'm sitting there in this moment at 12 years old. And I realized, you know, in one hand, I got this candle, fire. And then the other hand, I've got, you know, kind of the bulletin, the paper bulletin that they got everything kind of written on. They got all the hymns and everything. And so suddenly I realize, fire, paper, fire, paper. So I had an idea. 
My idea was, you know, what if I accidentally set my bulletin on fire, and then before anyone notices, I'll just quickly blow it out? You ever have a plan that sounded really good in your head, and then an execution didn't go so well? So, so I, I light my bulletin on fire, kind of like, I kind of did it like, oh no, oh no, you know? And so I go to blow out my bulletin, and I'm like, it wouldn't go out! And so my great uncle, who's always been like the cool uncle, he's sitting here next to me, and he looks over and realizes what's going on, he's like, lick your fingers, lick your fingers. And of course, I'm too scared to, right? So I started this mess, and I'm too scared to finish it. And so I'm like, I can't, I don't want to burn my fingers. So he just kind of licks his fingers real casually, puts it out, and then gives me this look that kind of says, you know, I know that wasn't an accident, now shut up and watch the rest of the service. I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point, or if you've ever been bored in church. Maybe you're a little bored today. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if you ever get bored here at church, or maybe throughout your life you've gotten a little bit bored. Obviously not when I preach, but maybe when like Pastor Christian or someone preaches, maybe you get bored. I don't know. Maybe you've had a moment where you've sat there in church like I was going, just kind of thinking, man, why am I here right now? What, what, what am I doing here? Uh, hopefully, that if you get to that point, it doesn't actually lead to arson. But you know what? We have fire extinguishers here just in case. So we're always prepared. But you know, that feeling of kind of like asking myself, why am I here? That feeling of being a little bit bored, kind of wondering what in the world am I doing here in this moment in church, continued on in my life as I got older into my teen years. I kind of started to wonder, like, what am I doing here in church? I started to get a little bit bored with, with just Christianity, for a lot of reasons, but one of them was that, you know, I would go and I'd see people around that would go to church like every single week, but then they'd go out and they'd live like just like everybody else. The only difference was that one person got to sleep in on Sunday and one person had to get up early and go to church. And I'd see people that, you know, would, would talk about God's word, but then the way they live it out wasn't actually in line with God's word. And then for myself, I got to this point where like, we were singing about this power and this life-changing ability of God and that there would be something amazing that happens in a relationship with him. But for me in that moment, I just wasn't seeing it. Like, I felt like I kept struggling with the same old sins over and over and over again. And I got to this place where I really started to wrestle. I don't know if you've ever been there where you've kind of asked yourself, man, what, what's the point of all this? Like, why, why am I actually doing this? Why am I at church today? Why am I reading God's word? Maybe you've had the thought, like, man, if I just want a, a, a nice speech about how to be a better person, I can watch the TED Talk. Or if I, if I just want to have inspirational music that uplifts me and makes me feel like I can do anything, I can listen to Taylor Swift. Say, you know. See, that wrestle in my life was actually life-changing for me. I think every single person should ask themselves the question, why am I here? Why am I at church? Why am I doing this? Because the fact is, if, if, the, if the Bible is true, it says that Jesus said, I will give you life and life to the full. And I've seen so many Christians that aren't living that life and life to the full. And so if we're not living that, then I think it's important to examine what is missing. And one of the things I love about Jesus is that he didn't just pick for his disciples, kind of the, the perfect people. Like he didn't pick the Billy Grahams or the people that had everything together, the people with all the degrees, the people that looked fantastic. Jesus picked the kind of people that were kind of like me. The people that struggled, the people that 
didn't quite get it. The people that kind of asked the question, why am I here? The people that were with Jesus constantly, but still didn't always understand who he was or what he was trying to tell them. The kind of people that get bored in church and interrupt Jesus' like most important sermon and go, oh, Jesus, you preach here a little long. Can we take a break? Because uh, we're, I mean, sorry, the people are hungry. Or the, the moment where, you know, they freak out in the boat, even though Jesus is right there beside them. The kind of people that, that fall asleep in the garden, even though Jesus explicitly said, listen, stay awake, I need you to pray with me. The kind of people that when, when Jesus says, you know, like Peter, when Jesus says, listen, uh, I'm going to be betrayed. This is all according to plan. You're going to be scattered. This is going to happen. It's all according to the plan so that something even greater can happen. And Jesus had people like Peter in his group that were like, all he heard was, all right, how many years you want me to chop off? Like there's people that just don't quite completely understand it. And there's a moment in Acts chapter 1 that I love. If you want to join me there. Acts chapter 1 is the story, kind of the continuation of the Gospels. Luke is writing this, and he kind of introduces it that in his former book, the, the Gospel of Luke. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And he continues on, saying, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That's important. He's telling them all about this kingdom that's coming, this kingdom that's not of this earth, this kingdom that's something bigger than they could possibly imagine. But then it says... On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then it says, They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now that's easy to skip over, but... A lot of scholars believe that really what they're asking here is the same thing that the Jewish people have been asking Jesus since he said, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. It said they had this vision that the Messiah who was coming would come and, and bring in this new kingdom in Jerusalem. He would defeat the Roman government and bring about a free Israel, a new kingdom, restoring the glory they felt like they had before, build a new temple, do all these amazing and incredible things that they wanted. But see, Jesus over and over showed that God's plan was a little different than their plan. If you ever run into that, like you have the perfect plan for God, God, I have the perfect plan. If you'll send me a Messiah, God, I have got a whole to-do list. I got a whole 40-day plan. Jesus, don't even worry about it. I got everything set up for you. Or sometimes we feel like, man, God, if you just, man, you just let me be in charge. Or man, if we just get the right person elected, man, if we get the right person in this position, it'll just change everything. You know, I had, I had heard a pastor once say, you know, even if Jesus was president, it wouldn't change anything if our hearts don't change. Fact is, it starts with something bigger. That's why Jesus was focused on another kingdom. And in this moment, his disciples are coming and they're going, okay, Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? After he's been telling them about all this, they completely are missing it. They're still focused on, man, will you do the things the way that we think it should be done? And Jesus is telling them about something even greater. They've completely missed it. He's been talking to them for 40 days, and they still miss it. 
And Jesus doesn't correct him too hard, but he just says, hey, listen, it's not for you to know the time or the days the Father has set by his own authority. But then he reiterates what he just said. But you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. The reason I love this passage is because it kind of shows that almost constantly when Jesus was on earth, these disciples kept messing up over and over again. They kept not getting it. They kept making mistakes. Things kept happening. They kept having struggles. They kept having moments where they kept doing the same things over and over again, no matter how much they got corrected. I don't know if you ever feel that way. Like, man, I'm just like, gosh, am I just dumb? Like, why do I keep making these decisions? But then all of a sudden, in the next chapter, Acts 2, which I encourage you to read this week. We're going to be talking about that next week. But suddenly there's this moment of Pentecost where it says the Holy Spirit comes. And then all of a sudden, Peter gets up, delivers a very eloquent sermon that is like life-changing. People come to Christ. And suddenly you see this moment where all of a sudden the apostles are like superheroes almost. Like they're going out and spreading the faith all over and the church is spreading and people are coming to Jesus and it's like everything changes. And if you go back and read the gospels and read the stories of some of these guys, you're like, no way. It had to be different guys. They had to have outsourced to someone smarter, a better speaker. But no, it's the exact same people because something changed in that moment that changed everything, that caused the gospel to spread, that changed everything for us today. And that was the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit completely and totally changes everything. The difference between the bumbling, fumbling apostles and these folks that were going out and spreading the gospel all over the place is that it was this power that Jesus spoke of to them. It was the reason that Jesus said in John that it's better that I go away because without me going away, you won't get the Holy Spirit. See, growing up, I always kind of felt like the Holy Spirit was kind of left out. Like we always had the, you know, the Holy Trinity of the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or maybe, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Like, we could almost forget about this person of the Holy Spirit that's talked about so much throughout the New Testament. Like, over and over and over again, the Spirit is talked about, but so often it's almost ignored. I heard it once said that the Holy Spirit is so ignored in our society that He doesn't even get any good curse words. Like, He is so left out. And for me, what I found was that's what was missing in my life. I was trying so hard to do things on my own. I lived out the Christian life to the best of my ability. But what I found was that my ability wasn't enough. And maybe if you've been in a position where you feel like you keep trying and failing and trying and failing, you're trying to be like Jesus and you're trying to have more fruit in your life. Maybe the issue isn't you. It maybe it's the power that's in you or isn't in you. See, what I found for my life is that I needed real power to change in my life. So today I want to talk about this as we introduce this series called The Holy Spirit. And we're going to start off today with a very introductory message talking about who is this Holy Spirit and just talk a little bit about it. And I apologize if it's informational. I had to cut so much stuff and I was like, oh man, I just wanted to go and go and go. 
But I, I'm so excited to dive into this and look at how do we live a life by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, sometimes in my life, it can kind of feel like I'm at war. You ever feel like you're at war? Like, you ever feel like there's stuff that's warring against you in your life? Like, every time you try to take a step this way, there's things trying to pull you back two steps? The fact is, we live in a society that's constantly at war, and I believe that the answer to this war is the Holy Spirit. So many of us, we can feel like we're in a war of identity. We're not sure who we are. We have all these things in life that try to tell us, you're this or you're that. Maybe we have labels on our life that tell us, man, if you grew up over here, you're this way. Or if you've done this in your life, you're this now. Maybe we're not sure who we are. But I love what it says in Romans 8. That the spirit that we receive does not make us slaves, but that we live in fear again. Rather, the Holy Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. We've talked about this verse before. What this is basically saying is, by the Holy Spirit, we're able to have a child like we are the children of God. And we're able to cry out to God with a, a familiar term, that term Abba, Father. is the same thing as when my child runs up to me and throws their hands up and goes, Daddy! It's that familiar term. Maybe you feel like you're in a war of morality, like you just keep falling short, like over and over again, the same things keep popping up in your life, like over and over again, you feel like you take a step forward and two steps back, you just can't beat that addiction, or you just can't beat that thing, or that problem with anger, or lust, or pride. But the Bible says in Galatians 5.16, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Maybe you feel like you're in a war of security, like you're just not sure who you are, whose you are. Like you go to church, you do the things, but you're like, gosh, God, am I really saved? Am I really your child? God, I feel like I messed up too much. Romans 8.16, it says that the Spirit himself will testify with our spirit that we're God's children. That if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we're filled to the overflow with the Holy Spirit. He will testify with us and give us that security that, no, you are mine. Maybe you have the war of vitality going on in your life. Like, you're supposed to be full and satisfied, but you're just not feeling full or satisfied. Like, you're supposed to have this life and life to the full, and there's just something that feels like it's just wrong. Like, something feels like, man, I just don't have that joy or that peace that they always talk about. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 13. Paul writes about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Other translations say the friendship of the Holy Spirit. The fact is, we are given this ability through the Holy Spirit to have a friendship. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be something that goes with us all the time. And the fact is, uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have different aspects and different aspects of the relationship. But it's this fellowship of this Holy Spirit. It's that friendship that goes with us into every day of our life that can absolutely change everything. The Holy Spirit is what changes things to a point where people say, listen, I want that. You ever been around someone? who just love Jesus so much, you're just like, man, why are they so happy all the time? Why, why are they so joyful all the time? Boy, I've got a couple of friends that, boy, God has changed their life to a point where it's like no matter what they go through, no matter how many diagnoses they get that tell them they're going to die, 
They just keep plugging along, and it's like they have this joy from the Lord that just pours out of them. That's the Holy Spirit. See, the fact is that there is nothing that God wants more than to give you more of him. The whole reason since the Garden of Eden that God has been chasing after us is that he wants to give us, bring us into a relationship that gives us more of him. And so for us today, I want to ask the question of just who is the Holy Spirit? I'm going to be real quick through this, but I just want to talk about a couple things about the Holy Spirit because sometimes we get some, some misconceptions in the church. The first one is that the Holy Spirit is God. We look at 1 Corinthians 2.10 and it shows us that the Holy Spirit and God are together. It says these things that God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What Paul is going to say, listen, the Holy Spirit understands the thoughts of God, and that spirit lives in you. So the Holy Spirit is God. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit in the family of God as kind of like the, the crazy uncle. Or like he maybe has some of the attributes of God, or maybe he's God-like. The fact is, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus, it says in John. He testifies to who Jesus is. Another thing about the Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is spirit. Jesus describes the Spirit as the wind, which is kind of appropriate because there's things in your life like the wind that you can't see, but you see the effects of it. When the Holy Spirit shows up, you see the effects. You see something that happens because of it, but you don't always see it. Also, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. The Bible refers to him as a he, as a person, all throughout, all throughout the Bible. He's not like the force from Star Wars. Not just a feeling or a bit of luck or that quiver in your liver, a goose bumpus on your rumpus. He's not just this feeling you get. Fact is, Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible even says about talks about resisting the Holy Spirit. He can be resisted. He can also be grieved. The Bible says, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit." He is a person that we have relationship with. He's not like getting that you know power up in Super Mario. It's a relationship that's designed to change everything. So today, I want to ask the question: What does the Holy Spirit do? I want to open up some scripture with you today. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does that we see in Scripture is that he reveals truth. Turn to someone around you and say, he reveals truth. In John 16, it says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Ephesians 1, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. See, what the Holy Spirit does is he opens our eyes, he reveals the lies around us, and allows us to see the truth. You know, one of the things that I've seen quite often is that the Holy Spirit will actually give you revelation even in God's Word. And I, I've been at times in my life where I've been really walking with the Holy Spirit and I open up God's Word and things just pop out to me. And I've also had moments in my life where I was kind of living for myself. I wasn't really living for God. And I'd open up God's word and I'd just kind of, eh, just a bunch of words. 
fact is that the Holy Spirit is what makes God's word come, come to life. Have you ever had a moment where you're just reading God's word and you're like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. Like that just applied to me. Maybe you just picked a passage and all of a sudden it's like there's stuff coming out applying directly to your life. That's what makes the whole the God's word come to life in us. In Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, Paul writes that I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. That you may be completely and totally filled. I also love he talks about you need the spirit to be able to understand just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Like, just imagine, can you imagine that? If you could really understand how much Christ loved you. Like, if, if, if you could actually understand how much he cared for you, how much he loved every single moment of your life, how much he loved your kids, how much he loved you and your job, how much he loved you in every place, every room that you step into. If you really understood each and every day how loved you were and how much God wants to change everything in your life, I think it would change a lot of stuff in us. And Paul writes that through the Spirit, we can truly understand that better. See, the Holy Spirit's work and ultimate goal is that we would better love and adore Jesus. In John, it says that the Spirit will always point us back to Jesus. The best way to tell if the Holy Spirit is working in your life or the Holy Spirit is working in your church is asking the question, is Jesus being more loved and adored Are people walking more and more in the love of Christ each and every day? That's the ultimate sign of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is being loved and adored and worshipped more in our church and our lives each and every day. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is reveal truth. The second thing is that he transforms us. In John 16, it says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Once I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. See, it's the Spirit that works in us to convict us. You ever have that moment? Or, man, you've just been praying that God would work on you in a certain area, and then all of a sudden, you get into a situation where suddenly you're just like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, you're just doing the exact same thing over and over again, and all of a sudden you're just like, ah, I can't, can't do that today. Man, I've had that, where it's like, man, I, 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 I have this issue. I have an issue with anger that I've been working on and really praying about, and God's been working in me and really chiseling away at me. And I find that, one of the biggest things that causes anger to come out is a four-year-old. And man, there's some times where I just lose it. I got to just keep working on it and working on it and working on it. But what I love is that the Holy Spirit will convict me. As I've been praying about it, God, the Holy Spirit just kind of puts his hand on my shoulder. Like in that moment where I'm just like, what is wrong with you? It's like the Holy Spirit just kind of goes, hey, hey, 
yeah, I could say the same thing about you. Let's calm down, buddy. It's like all of a sudden I just feel this peace that surpasses all understanding that comes over me. I'm just like, okay, okay. How can I love my son through this and help him be better? What the Holy Spirit will do is continue to correct us, but it will also have this gradual but unmistakable shift of who we are. The Bible says in Galatians 5, that there are fruit of the Spirit. We've all heard these before. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you notice, though, how many of you have heard of the fruit of the Spirit before? Now, have you ever noticed? The fruit of the Spirit gets talked about a lot, but something I always kind of skipped. It says the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruit of a good Christian. It doesn't say the fruit of going to church every week. It doesn't say the fruit of reading your Bible. It says the fruit of the Spirit. And so, so often in my life, I would read that and I would go, okay, I need more love. Let's go. I need more patience. I need to be more joyful this week because the, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Almost like I was trying to like fill in the blank over here without putting in the correct answer in over here. But the Bible says that the, the, the fruit of this, this fruit is established by the Holy Spirit. This isn't the grading rubric for our life. It's a promise from God that the more of God's Spirit that is in us, the more of these things are going to be in our life. See, Christianity is not about making bad people better. It's about making dead things come to life. It's about drawing out of mud what we never thought could come out of it. So maybe for us today, our prayer is, God, don't give me more, not, not, not asking God to give us more joy, but asking God, would you give me more of your spirit that produces joy? Instead of coming to God with our laundry list of morals that we think we need, like, okay, God, while you're at the moral store, can you give me some patience? I'll take some kindness, some self You know, I'm good on self-control. Actually, I just checked. I'm good. I'm good. Um, but, you know, instead of going with that list, maybe we say, God, would you give me more of you? Would you give me more of your Holy Spirit? And if there's anything that's stopping your spirit from working in me, will you please convict me? Because I just want more of you. I want to look more like you. May you produce in me the fruit that you see that I need in my life. Because the fact is, the more of God we have, the less sin there's going to be in our life. The more of God's Spirit in us, the more we're going to look like Jesus. The final thing the Holy Spirit does is he empowers us. He gives us life and life to the full. N.T. Wright writes that the Spirit is given to begin the work of making God's future real in the present. It's just like we pray in the, in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. N.T. Wright, I love that quote. That it's beginning to make the, the work of making God's future real in the present right now. Having God's spirit in us brings heaven here on earth. In Ephesians 5, it says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. When I read this as a kid, I would read that and go, wait a minute. Okay, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. So I'm like, okay, being filled with the Spirit must be like getting drunk. Like it must be the same thing. It's almost like a replacement product. And sometimes you read that and you're like, well, what is he trying to say here? But really what Paul is trying to say here in this moment is that he's saying, listen, you're looking to these things to bring you joy in your life. 
But he's instead, instead, he's saying, don't look to the things in creation to give you the life that God can give you through his Holy Spirit. See, we live in a world that seeks so many things from the world around us. It seeks the joy from things in our life. So many people I know are looking for joy everywhere in their life. They're looking for patience everywhere in their life. They're looking for kindness, self-control, all these things from the world. And what God's saying in this verse is, listen, I want to give you something even better than that through my Holy Spirit. Stop looking in the created world for all these things. Instead, come to me, your creator, and allow me to do something. See, in the moment when I get saved... I have all of God, but the moment that I'm filled with God's spirit is the moment where God has all of me. It's the beginning of the sanctification process, some people would say. It's, a, it's this moment where God has all of me and his Holy Spirit can work in me to produce fruit and do amazing through, things through my life. But the fact is that the Holy Spirit has to be welcomed into your life. In 1 Corinthians, Paul lists out the gifts of the spirit. And I'm going to very quickly jump through them, but he talks about these manifestations of the Spirit that are given for the common good. He talks about to some there's given a message of wisdom. To another, the Spirit gives a gift of knowledge. To another, he gives faith through the Spirit. To another, he gives gifts of healing. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kind of tongues. And still to another, to the interpretation of those tongues. And all of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, a lot of times we read that, and people go, great, I want that. I know people that almost, as I was growing up, people would read through that and go, man, I want this one. Almost like it was superpowers. Like, what superpower do you want? Like, I want that. I want the gift of healing. I want the gift of tongues. I want this. I want this. When It says the Holy Spirit gives those. But see, the fact is, the ultimate gift of God's spirit is making us look like Jesus. And I know so many people who think the gifts of the spirit sound really good without the relationship with him. See, those things follow from a relationship. We only care about the gifts of the spirit. There's some denominations and churches that really, really focus on these gifts of the spirit. But if we only want those gifts of the spirit, it's kind of like wanting to be married only for like those romantic private moments in the bedroom. Like, we only want this. It's like, it's like getting married for all the wrong reasons. You ever known someone who's done that? The fact is, it starts with a relationship, and out of that comes those amazing things. But without the relationship, those things aren't going to happen. They're not going to happen in the same way. See, I, I, I see a lot of people who are saved. They've started a relationship with Jesus, but they're still operating under their own power. And so often in the Christian world, I think we've normalized the plateaued life. Like we've normalized the life that's kind of like, listen, you know, I, I go to church, I do the things, but yeah, I got the same sin I've struggled with for 30 years. But you know, eh, eh, I mean, you know, we've just kind of normalized it. Yeah, it's okay to be plateaued. See, so many believers, I think, try to live the Christian life apart from the indwelling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit which results in this cycle of insecurity and immorality and idolatry and failures and frustrations and bondage and stagnation. But Jesus said in John 15 that apart from me, you can do nothing. But yet so often we try to do it on our own. Philippians 2.13 tells us, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
So as we end today, I just want to ask a question. We're going to talk, we're going to continue talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about what it looks like to be filled, how to listen to the Holy Spirit, how to walk by the Spirit, as Paul says. We're going to talk more about this, but today, if you're someone out there who's just going, man, I feel like I've been struggling with the same things in my life over and over. I feel like there's supposed to be this joy that's come, this peace that comes, but I'm not seeing that in my life. I'm not seeing the life change happen in my life. I just want to invite you to consider today and ask yourself the question. When I look at the fruit of the Spirit, am I, am I having that come out of my life? When I look at Jesus, am I looking more and more like Jesus? Has God been convicting me? When was the last time God convicted me and draw me closer to him? If nothing's changing in my life, maybe I need to ask God, am I filled with your spirit? Like, is your spirit really working in me? Maybe I have a relationship with God. Maybe you've never started a relationship with God, and today's the day. It starts with being open to receive the Holy Spirit. Being open to say, God, yes, you do whatever. God, you have all of me. I give it all to you. And sometimes the next thing is what we just read in Acts 1-4, that Jesus said to them, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. Sometimes it's that moment of waiting. Can you imagine if, the, you know, if it was me, honestly, I'd probably go to Jerusalem. and like, okay, this is great. Nothing happened. All right, moving on. Sometimes it's a moment of waiting. It's God, you take everything. You fill me, God. You have everything. Maybe you're praying that prayer for a few days, a few weeks. But I want to invite you to pray that with me. I'm going to end off today. Just I want you to bow your heads, and I want to read the words that Paul wrote in Ephesians, we read a moment ago. I want to pray them over you. I, I pray today that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that each of you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of God's people to grasp how long and high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. And God, I pray over every person in this place today that maybe if any of them are trying to do this thing called Christianity, this thing called being a follower of you in their own power, God, I pray that right now, if there's anything that's stopping them from being empowered by your Holy Spirit, that you would convict them of what things they need to let go of. God, if there's anything in us that isn't of you, anything that we're holding on to too much and trying to do on our own, God, would you allow us to open our hands right now and say, God, you have everything. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us, God, that you would empower us that you would make us look more and more like Jesus, that you would continue to bestow your giftings and your, your purposes and your power on each and every one of us. God, I know that each and every person here has a mission and a plan for their life that you want to do in them. God, you, you don't just want us to be Christians. You want us to be beacons and lights for you. You want us to be carbon copies of Jesus and go into the world and bring Jesus to everyone around. And so God, I thank you for what you're going to do through every person that's sitting here. God, I believe that that you have an impact that you want to have through them. So God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would empower us to be able to do that, that you would bring about the life change that your word says you bring. God, we are so grateful for you. We are just so incredibly honored that we just get to hear your word today and pray that it'll change us into something even greater. God, you are awesome and amazing and incredible, and we cannot wait to see how, your work, how you work. 
In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, church, we're going to continue to worship today. I just want to invite you to worship however you feel led today, whether you stand, you sit, you kneel. We're going to have people at either cross that love to pray for you. If we can pray for you in any area, we love you so much. Let's continue to worship our amazing God together. Amen, church?